what were you doing in December 1994? The person we're about to was talked to was preparing for quite the ride. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Welcome back to this edition of the Chuck Williams Show. Our guest today is Mimi Woodson. Mimi is a counselor, Columbus City Councilor, District 7. Uh, Mimi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a lot of reflection. Mimi right now is in the twilight of her council career. She uh, is finishing up 28 years on city council, did not seek re-election, and will be leaving the office on December 31st. So what you thinking about? Nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 28 years is a long time, um, but I look forward to my new journey in life. And, you know, life's about journeys, and I want to go back real quick to December 1994. You had just been elected to Columbus City Council. You were the very first person of Hispanic descent to be elected to a uh, public office in the state of Georgia. And you're sitting there in December of 1994. <laughs> what were you doing? Oh, well, <laughs> this is funny. The first very shock was when I was coming out of the elevator on election day and my daughter, um, the elevator door is open and my daughter, she, you know, she jumps on me and she says, mom, you did it. You did it. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, oh, hell, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> you were you are not the first politician to think that. I can, assure, I can, assure, I can assure you that, you know. <laughs> And then for the next 28 years, you did it, but you did it in your own very distinctive style. You were always Mimi Woodson, born in Puerto Rico, raised in New York, Chicago, Milwaukee, Army career. You were that all, you were never not that Mimi Woodson, were you? No, no. My mom always used to tell us when we were growing up, remember who you are and where you came from because you never know if you have to go back. So I um, continue to try to stay as humble as possible. Where did you come from in Puerto Rico? Um, a little town called Manati. And uh, my dad was in the Korean War. And after he got out of the Korean War. Fought for War, the U.S. Army, right? Yes. And after that, they moved to New York. And my dad was actually a promoter. He used to bring Latin music to the United States, um, different places. And that's how we got to the United States, because of my dad and his work. He, so he was he promoted, name me some of the acts he promoted. Yeah. That would have been back in the 50s, right? Oh, yeah. He did, like, um, Celia Cruz, Eto La Voz, um, <clears throat> Gran Combo, uh, Gajito Manati, those were old artists. And what's so funny, Chuck, because I was in that environment, but I really didn't understand it. So when they would come over the house, because in the old days, what they do is they didn't stay in hotels. You know, they stayed with family and people and stuff. My mom used to always cook for them. When I used to look at them, like, oh, well, somebody else sleeping in my room. You know, I didn't <laughs> pay no attention to it. And as I got older and I started paying more attention. I would say to myself, man, I lost all those opportunities. I know them when they started, and look at them. But back then, it didn't mean anything to me. What venues were they playing in New York at the time? Do you remember that? No, there were different places, different hotels, different small venues, big venues, because they were just, like, starting off, you know, getting on themselves on the feet. And my dad was just from, I remember that we would go from one city to another city. When he booked them, we went to different cities. It wasn't there. And I was daddy's little girl, so I hanged out quite a bit with daddy. <laughs> what kind of, what countries were they coming from? Or were they coming from Puerto Rico, no. uh, Caribbean? Yeah, they, all, they came from different Caribbean countries. They were not all there. Some were even local. Some were like from New York itself, Chicago, California. They were from all over. Whatever contract he could get, he brought, he brought it to whatever community was asking for it. I was more of a country music guy. That probably doesn't surprise you at all. But my introduction to Latin music was Gloria Estefan and Miami Sound Machine. I mean, I remember 
were liking the beat and just and that was about the time I was in college and I always thought that was a I mean that was the first time I really was aware of the kind of culture of of Latin music and I mean probably a lot of people fall in the same category with me with Gloria Estefan and the Sound Machine right yes yes quite a bit um so y'all lived in New York Milwaukee mm-hmm. and Chicago. Did you ever go home to Puerto Rico? And do you, you know, what do you remember about going back to Puerto Rico? Oh yes, we would go back um, just about every year, sometimes every two years. And in the summertime, um, my parents made sure that my brother and I visit for the summer at least two or three weeks, so that we continue in our culture. Um, so, but what I remember the most is my grandfather. May he rest in peace. I used to love it. Because my family would tease me. They would say, oh, here comes the gringa, you know, (laughs) because they would say my Spanish is kind of broken because the way we were brought up. But my grandpa, my grandfather would always take me by my hand, and he would tell me, we're going in the yard. And we didn't go in the yard. You know, we went to eat ice cream, him and I. He would always take me into town um, to have ice cream, and he would tell people, oh, this is my gringa granddaughter, you know. And, and gringa meaning it. United States, yes, right? Yes, Wow. And I used to love it because he just gave me all that attention. You know, I was his little girl for that moment. You know, there's such a special relationship. I mean, Puerto Rico is not a state, but it's a U.S. territory. Right. And there's such a special relationship between Puerto Ricans in the U.S. Army. If you look, mm-hmm. I mean, you said your dad was in the Army. You were in the Army. Um, uh, my brother. Your brother. My I niece. Mean, <laughs> I mean, you see folks in Columbus, Cesar comes to mind, who mm-hmm. are Puerto Rican, but they they were U.S. Army. What is it about the military and Puerto Ricans? I think it's uh, it's the sense of wanting to see America, the other side, um, the American dream. Um, I believe that it is to show that we can also contribute to this country. And I think we've done a good job, but we haven't done a good job in marketing it. Um, I followed in my dad's footsteps because my dad was like my, I was daddy's little girl. And I was kind of like, I was shy and quiet in the public, but at home, I was a very interesting little child, you know, daddy, (laughs) what you doing? (laughs) What you doing? So you asked a lot of questions. Oh yeah, yeah. And he would go fix cars because he's a man of all trades. He would go fix cars. I would get on the car. I didn't know what I was doing, Chuck, but I would put oil on my face and come up and tell my mom I was helping her, you know. I was working with my dad. We changed that engine, you know, and I didn't do nothing. But it was just a fact. When I saw and learned, you know, when I learned about all my dad's sacrifice to come to the United States to give our family um, an opportunity, you know, um, and I seen their struggles. I admired that, you know. I would get mad at him a lot, too, because when I was coming up, he was very traditional. You know, when we were in the house, we only spoke Spanish. We went through those rules. Um, when we leave the house, it was just we only spoke English, and we did that. But he was very strict. For my high school prom, I had to take my brother as my how do you like going to the prom with your brother? That was not that, that doesn't sound like fun. No, it wasn't. But I was devious. We changed partners. <laughs> <laughs> and when we went home, we changed partners again. <laughs> so my dad, after what, many years ago, he found out because we were having a serious conversation. And and I said, Dad, I got a confession. You know? And he was, you? What happened? I said, don't be mad, but remember when, Chuck, I even had, my mom even had a different dress made for me, because the dress my dad had for me, it was like a turtleneck, long sleeve, and we're in the summer, and I had my mother back then, it was called halters, I don't know, today, uh-huh. you know, where you had your back out, and my mom had a lady make another dress for me, 
So, and this is when the hotels first started coming up. Uh, actually, the Holiday Inn. And when I got to the garage, I went to the bathroom. I changed my clothes. My brother <laughs> changed partners. And we went to the prom. And what, we took pictures together. So what city was that in? In Milwaukee. In Milwaukee. And my dad never knew when I told him this story. He said, but when you came home, you went with this, you came home with the same dress. I said, that was the deal, Dad. <laughs> so, good memories. You know, one of the things that has always struck me about people from Puerto Rico that I know, family is the most important thing. You're talking about your granddad, your dad. You're talking about your brother, your mom. Where does this emphasis and value on family come from? I think it's... Um our ancestors and generations before us who um, have empowered us that family is the key to success. Even if you have your differences of opinion and you have your fights, you always need to come back to family because family would always be there for you. And in the Latino Puerto Rican culture, family is very important to us. Like if you and I were very good friends, I might tell somebody, oh, this is my cousin, this is my uncle, because of the relationship we built. So it goes back to family. Mm -hmm. Always back to family. Um, you can have disagreements, you can be mad at you, but at the end of the day, you're back to family, and the reunion of family is very important. Like for me being, um, like I was always the one that was traveling, always gone in my family. But my family... I have aunts and uncles and even cousins today that when I would do an accomplishment or I was celebrating my daughter's quinceanera, for example, family came from all over. Like What's a quinceanera? A quinceanera is when a young lady turns 15. It's supposed to um, represent her still being a virgin, um, being introduced to society as a young lady. Um, so it's like, an, it's, it's like, it's like, not cotillion. What is the? I just went brain dead. Um, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I can't yeah. say it either right now. Yeah, but, but it's it's, it's a, a coming out. It's yeah. a coming out. Yeah, and it's a big deal um, because of the fact that it's such a beautiful ceremony. There's a ceremony of changing of shoes, um, putting on jewelry, um, getting a tiara having um, flowers given to you from a young man, supposedly for the first time in your life. It's a very beautiful, um, sacred ceremony. And that daughter now is much older and has made you a grandmother, right? <laughs> yes. How many grandchildren? I have two ch grandchildren from her, and I have three from my son, and one on the way. What, what's your grandmother's name? Andrea, like my daughter. And my other one, her name was Maria. So you, so what do you go by? I go uh, as a you, grandmother. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood yeah. you. Yeah. As a grandma, it's called abuela. Um, but my grandkids, some call me abuelita, and some call me ita. Like my son's kids, they say abuelita, and my daughter's kids, they like to cut it short. They say ita. So what does they I, get mad at me? <laughs> what is I want? What do they mean in English? It is grandmother, uh, and in short, like um, granny. Okay, so know? just okay. like I would call my grandmother granny or something. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Ita is like granny. Abuelita is grandma. But you have a grandmother name in the U.S. For Mimi is a name that a lot of <laughs> that a lot of families, yes. including ours, use for a grandmother. Yes. Um, so let's go back to 1995. So 1994, when you saw the election, um, you were running a candy store in South Columbus. Where was the candy store? Yes, it was called Kids and Things, and it was off South Lumpkin Road on Hendricks, right in the corner. So what kind of candy did you have in your store? Oh, Mimi? my God. We had um, the old days, Mary Jane, lollipop, bubblegum, bottle, can bottle candy was with those um, plastic um like wax with the juice yeah, inside, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of different types of candy. But what was unique about the candy store, Chuck, was that that was a promise I made to God. Uh, my husband had gone to Desert Storm, and he was in a bad position. 
And I prayed to God that if he would bring them safe, I would do something for children. And the candy store was it. What was unique about the candy store was because we sell candy at a penny to a dollar. And we didn't charge the kids the taxes. We paid the taxes for them. And then we... Doesn't sound like you are a very good candy business person. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. And we would have, like, um, dances in the weekend for them. We would clean up the community. So it was community center. It was almost like a a boys and girls club. You know, now that you mention it, yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, I never looked at it that way, but yes. You know, and... That was about the time that Oakland Park was starting to change um, to become a little more um, uh, investment property rental and a little less owner-occupied. You know, I mean, that that seesaw was starting to go the other way from owner-occupied. If you don't know Oakland Park, and it sits off South Lumpkin Road back toward the river, what do people in this town that have probably never driven through Oakland Park, they may see stuff on the news about a murder or homicide there. But what do you know about Oakland Park that you wish the rest of Columbus knew about your neighborhood? It's a very beautiful neighborhood. Excuse me. There's a lot of beautiful trees that, that does the, the marking of it. Um, the people are very humble. And sweet. I had an opportunity when I bought my house um, because the realtor would take me to North Columbus all the time. And my husband was driving around and he found Oakland Park and he found my home. <clears throat> and he said to me, Mimi, let's go check out this neighborhood. It looks quaint, quiet. People, they take care of their lawns. There's a lot of trees, flowers. It will make you feel like you're almost at home. And I, at first I was like, okay, let's go. And then um, I heard some of the negatives, and I said to him, what's an I don't know. And he said, let's just go. Let's just go. And the moment I went down my street, I fell in love with Oakland Park. And um, Oakland Park is beautiful. It has its troubles like every neighborhood, some areas, but overall, it's a beautiful community. It's very united. Um, I don't know. I like, I would never uh, leave it. I never would. You know, if you don't know a community and you go in and you have to trust a realtor to help you find a place to live, mm-hmm. realtors play an oversized role sometimes in your perception of the community you're going into, don't they? Oh, yes, they do, because our realtor was really upset that we wanted to see my home. They wanted us to go, you know, other places because we had saved up enough money to give a decent down payment, you know, to our yeah. home. So they kept pushing us north, but we fell in. The, and this is a funny story. The house was under contract, and my daughter walks in the house. We went to see it anyway. My daughter walks in the house, and the lady was there. and um, The owner? The owner was there. And my daughter walks in, and she said, Mom, this is going to be my new house. And we all were like in shock, little girl. This is not. We're just looking. And she fell in love with the house. And she even, we went upstairs, and she ever even picked up her, you know, her room. And I had to tell her, and I told her in front of the lady, I said, Andrea, this isn't our home. We're just looking at different houses, and we like this house. And she was like, this is my house. I said, okay, okay, and we just left. And a couple days later, we got a phone call um, saying, are you interested in the house? And the lady had, you know, changed. She dropped the other contract just because of my daughter. And so that house has... You know, so much <laughs> value. That's a God thing, isn't it? Yes, yes. So that house is very, very, you know, my kids have tried to get me to move other places as they travel. My family, especially now that I retire, and I tell them I can't. I'm home. To me, this is home. And You've been in that house for 30 years now, right? Yes. You know, the one thing about Oakland Park, and I think Oakland Park has the most beautiful tree canopy of any neighborhood, yes. maybe overlooked to some degree, but 
downtown, yeah, but Oakland Park's tree canopy is, canopy is so deliberate. It's so beautiful, and those those oaks are just majestic. And, you know, in Oakland Park, for people who don't know this, Oakland Park is a neighborhood right off the gates of Fort Benning that is on a grid. The streets are straight as an arrow, and yes. it's a gridded neighborhood. It's probably a mile long, but it sprang up mid-60s when Fort Benning was ramping up for Vietnam and all those people had to have somewhere to live and all of a sudden builders were building houses just left and right in Oakland Park and it is it is a beautiful and historic neighborhood. Yes it is and like I like I mentioned earlier it's a place where like you said God put me in and I love it and I don't see myself going anywhere you know I just tell my kids you come visit me I tell my family, you come visit me. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I love it. I love my home. So you're running a candy store, living in your dream house in, <laughs> in Oakland Park, and you get a visit from John Allen, a judge, Red McDaniel, a city councilman, and A.J. McClung, a legend. And Frank Chester. And Frank Chester, another city councilor. And you're... You have obviously drawn somebody's attention with what you're doing in that candy store in a very short period of time. They asked you to run for city council, didn't they? Yes, yes. There was two neighbors of mine that first asked because it was a new district and they wanted someone grassroots. And I kept ignoring them and telling them, uh-uh, no, I'm staying with my candy store. And um, one of them asked me to go to church, and I went to a church off North Lumpkin Road, and I prayed about it, and um, I came back, and I did exactly what the preacher said, and I woke up the next morning, and I told my husband, I think I'm going to do this, but I probably won't win, I said, but I'm going to do it to be obedient, and then those awesome gentlemen walk into my candy store a couple days later. You probably were so naive, you didn't realize the power and the clout that was in that those four men possessed, right? That is so true. I was like, who the heck are they and what are they doing here? <laughs> well, John Allen became chief superior court judge, um, trailblazer in the African-American community. Um, Frank Chester was a city councilman and incredibly well-respected. A.J. McClung, there's a YMCA named after him, but he was – Mayor, mayor Pro Tem and became mayor when Jerry Allen died. And then, and then Red Matt Daniel, I mean. <laughs> That's my buddy. <laughs> the, the City Services Center bears Red's name. Um, you served with Red for a long time. Um, but what did you tell those guys? When they first came to talk yeah. to me that they were crazy, that I wasn't interested. <laughs> that was it. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know anything about them. So the first thing, uh, Mimi, Mimi is Mimi. Mimi is what you get. This is what you see. This is what you get. Um, I know when to be professional. I know when I can just be little. But these were strange men, you know, coming into my business. i never seen them. I didn't know them. And they're talking to me about something that I, it was not on my to-do list. I was like, they crazy? What are they talking about? And I just didn't. I, I didn't believe it. Now, I always say people are not politicians, and they'll say they're not politicians. But once you... Once you put your name on that ballot and you pay that, what, $300 qualifying fee, you became a politician. <laughs> in people's eyes, in my eyes, I didn't. But in people's eyes, yes. You were probably, let me say this nice. Don't get mad at me. Oh, no. you, you've been mad at me before. <laughs> Nothing new. We have a tortured relationship, yes, Mimi, yes. going back to the newspaper days. Mm -hmm. But uh, you just said you didn't think I liked you. And there were probably times I didn't like you, and there were probably times you didn't like me. So true, but here we are together. <laughs> I told but, you I'm a character when you get to know me. <laughs> uh, you, you definitely. But, you know, you probably were the most anti-politician that Columbus has ever produced. Would you? I mean, you were not, nobody would have looked at you and said, this is a person who needs to be on city council. This is a person mm -hmm. who needs to be on the ballot. 
What made you so attractive to the voters of that district? Well, what I've been told in in the past is that it was my passion for the kids, my passion for the things I was doing in my community um, in the short time period that I was there. Um, and also, Columbus was ready for diversity, something new. Uh, my community wanted someone grassroots. They didn't want a true politician. Um, and I think that's what made them interested in me because they saw how I was. I was low-key, but I was doing things. We were reforming gang members. We were giving kids a place to feel safe. To, to be able to talk their feelings, to learn how to talk to their parents. But you know, Chuck, you said something that's going to stay with me forever. I never looked at it, but you're right. It was almost like a boys and girls club. I mean, you, and I you, didn't never looked at it that way. You were helping kids and parents that mm -hmm. needed help. They, yes. And I didn't even know it. I was having fun, you know, with the kids and putting smiles and impacting them and you know and it's funny because sometimes I'll be at a store or when I used to work at Tisa's um I would re I remember one girl she walked by my desk and she said to the other girl you know what that lady looks like the candy lady and I just kept working I didn't you know <laughs> I didn't pay attention and I heard her say yeah we used to hang out there all the time we had a good time but then she took a different career in life so the candy store closed but oh my god and I'm sitting here behind my desk trying not to laugh or say anything and I listened to her and a couple of days later she asked me she says you look so familiar and um, she wasn't on my team she was on somebody else's team and I said yeah I remember you she says you remember me I said, yeah, I'm Mimi from Kits and Things, the candy store. That girl screamed so loud, I was embarrassed. <laughs> do, you think, do you think one of the things that made you such an attractive political candidate and somebody who was able to get elected, how many people ran against you the first time? Three. Three do, people. Do you remember who they were? I remember one guy's name was Reggie Thompson. I don't remember the other guy, but I know one was Caucasian, and he was born and raised in Columbus. The other one was African-American, and he was um, raised in Columbus. And little old me, Puerto Rican girl. <laughs> <laughs> Not even two years in Columbus. <laughs> and those were the three. And I remember that we only raised, like, less than $3,000, you know, did, for the campaign. Did you put out yard signs? Oh, yeah, we put yard signs. Your yard sign color was always green, right? Yes. Why don't yes. you pick green for your yard sign? I'm always curious about this because of who I'm married to. And the yard sign, the way people do yard signs, you know, once you settle on something, you stay with it yeah. in your political career. To me, um, green is life. And it's like joy. Because when you look like at a flower and you look at it and you see the leaves and they're beautifully green and there's different kinds, what do you do? When you're riding in the summer and the leaves start green, it's just green to me. It's like a, a friendly, passionate, um, I don't know, powerful color. Okay, you get elected. You win this seat. How many people did you have pulling you in how many directions? Oh, my God. Um, lots of people. And they were pulling me because they wanted to know, who is this girl? Who is this person? You had one of ten votes. Yes. Everyone was like, who is she? Where did she come from? What's her intent? You know, especially where I felt a little intimidated was in the business community. Um I really did because you I, did not come out of the Columbus business community. Yes, <laughs> the, can, the candy store was not a top chambers member, right? That's right, <laughs> and it was kind of intimidating for me when I was in the room with all these powerful people in the beginning. It was very intimidating, but I didn't show it, you know. But how did, how did you how did you mask that intimidation you felt? I felt I was just, I, I walked in, I was very friendly, very understanding. I listened and I watched. And I, then I studied. 
I study the individuals that I was working with, you know, what I was going to be working with and, and doing. You know, this is a cute story. He's probably going to get mad at me for saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is my favorite story. My first negotiation it was really incredible to me. I was at the Bradley, uh, WC Bradley conference room in there, and the Olympics were um, coming to Columbus. And we were talking about um, all the different things that needed to build. But at that time, Rigdon Park was scheduled to get a new pool, you know, to get remodeled. And um, Rigdon Park is in Oakland Park. In Oakland Park, yes, I'm sorry. Thank you. And um, everyone was pushing the Olympics, limp and limp. Softball you know, to, fields, yes. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there quietly going, oh. Uh, no way. I have a park that needs to be a, you know, a priority. And um, I think a couple people started picking it up. Cabeza and others said I wasn't going to be that vote for yes, you know. And they kept talking and talking. And then Matt's with former pre uh, CEO of WC Bradley Real Estate. Yes. He pulled me aside and he says, Mimi, what's the matter? And I remember, I can remember where we were even standing. And I said to him, sir, with all due respect, I really love your the project, your project, everybody's project, but I don't feel I can support it. You know, and he asked me, he said, why? I said, because the people in my district have been waiting for a park for a long time. And if we, my understanding is if we do this, my park goes to the back burner. So why am I going to do that when my community really needs the park? And that was our first negotiation because he said to me, Mimi, if I promise you that your park will not suffer, would you support it? I said, sure, but my park comes first. <laughs> and that was my first negotiation. And you got, you got your park. And I got my park. You got your park with, yes. uh, water, with water features in it? Yes, everything. And it was so exciting. Um, matter of fact, uh, I didn't believe it. Uh, it was the best youth football field in the city for a while. Yes. And when I went home to my husband and I was telling him, oh, my God, I thought I was going to die. There's these powerful people and <laughs> this guy. And I was able to save our park. I was like a little kid at Disney. And I was so excited. So, you, were, so, you know, that story speaks volumes because I was covering a lot of that stuff back then. I was wondering how that part got on the front burner. <laughs> now I know. Yeah. Uh, you know uh, <laughs> this little quiet Puerto Rican girl <laughs> negotiating for the first time. But that was a important part of your public service because you let the people in power and the people who had influence and affluence, you let them know you weren't going to back down for the, if they didn't treat the people who sent you there well, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Is that yes, the sir. message you were trying to send? That was the message. Yes, it was. Because I feel like I was the voice of my community, those that felt that their voice didn't matter because they're not in public meetings, they're not involving government, but yet their voice counted. And to me, the park was very important to my community, and I wanted their voice to be heard. And that was my first opportunity. And Carmen Cavesa would not have been city manager then. He was head of Columbus 96, which was a local Olympic organizing committee Correct. that was getting ready to build the softball complex, the Civic Center, redo Golden Park, and everything it took to host the softball venue. But you wanted a park. But I wanted a park. <laughs> and In Oakland Park. And when they tore down the golf course, yes. you predicted that tree too didn't you yes <laughs> there, if you go in the civic center parking lot now over by sorry i didn't mean to say dang tree. Dang that's tree. okay okay <laughs> you go in the civic center parking lot and there's this tree just below, below memorial park on the riverside it's fenced in you wouldn't let them that was a part of the old victory drive golf course which was right. leveled to build that you weren't going to let that tree go were you no <laughs> Why did you like that tree so much? Yeah, I know it's a beautiful old oak. Just if, 
because the principle of it, it belonged to our community. It belonged to the people. Um, I'm, I'm a nature person. You know, I, I like to, you know, make a basket and sit under a tree, you know, and, and have lunch or, or sit and read a book. So the tree was very valuable to us. It's nature. It's who it represent us, you know, our community. I just couldn't see. Yeah, another, sorry. <laughs> another another part of that negotiation was the Oxbow Meadows Golf Course. They were getting That's rid right. of Victory Drive. You demanded they they replace it with a South Columbus Public Golf Course, and you, so you got the the nine. At, you know, you know what I always thought interesting. Oh my God, you remember more things than I do. I know I'm getting uh, old, <laughs> but it's true. You know what I always saw interesting was you wanted the golf course. And Red Matt Daniel wanted the marina. Mm-hmm. You got the golf course. <laughs> Red yes. never got his marina, did he? No, he didn't. He wanted a marina down there sort of where Oxbow Meadows is. And, yes. and uh, so people could put in south of all the dams and, and have boats and go into Lake Eufaula from there. And we did get some um, We did get some land um, right outside of um, Fort Benning on the South Lumpkin Road, right there on the edge in the corner where Westville is now. And yep. where the, that land there, we had um, purchased that land to try to make the marina in that area. But it was very, you know, it was very difficult um, to get all the buy-ins and everything. But we even said that if the marina was ever built there, it would be called the Red McDaniel <laughs> Marina. No. Because we were always, he was marina and I was golf course. And I don't even play golf. <laughs> you fought for it. I'm going to hijack the interview and go in a different direction right now. Yeah. Well, that just, makes me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> anytime I say that as a reporter, I'm sure it does. But what I want to do is I'm going to say names. And I want you just to tell me the first thing that pops in your head about those names. And I'm going to go through probably okay. 15 of them. Okay. And I'm going to start with Evelyn Turner Pugh. Oh, you're going to make me cry. Evelyn uh, was my mentor. Um, she, I, I'm going to say she taught me a lot of what I know. Um, she empowered me. Um, she allowed me the opportunity to to shadow her to um, GMA, League of Cities, um, all these places to educate myself. And she to took learn. you under under her wing when you yes. get, when you got elected. Yes, yes, she did, and right. she allowed me to, and then she let me explore. You know what the things that she had taught me, and then she would always say to me, "Follow your heart, don't be afraid." She would always tell me that, and um, oh, I can tell so many stories about Evelyn and I and our travels and working and, you know, but she was special to me. Rest her soul. Yeah. Red met Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I love Red. <laughs> Red. Red was a country club guy. He couldn't have been more different than you. Oh, yes, and that was what was great about Red. That's what I loved about Red. You always knew where Red stand. You didn't have to guess. You didn't have to figure it out. He was straightforward. And his affection to me was always hidden in the back of my chair. You know, that was his <laughs> affection to me. And when he didn't um, like something I was doing, he would go, Mammy, Mammy. I said, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. It's just that southern way he would say, Mammy. I was like, okay, here it comes. He was an old football star here. Yes. I mean, Red was Red was Red was a character. Oh yeah, and he was, but he was, you know, I've always appreciated him since he walked through the doors of my candy store. He was always straightforward, and and every negative I would put, he would turn it around into a positive, and that's when I learned. Um, and I try to teach people from every negative, there's a positive. And Red McDaniel installed that in me. Red, my favorite story, I was covering the Parks and Rec scandal and was breaking a lot of stories yes. back in 2011. And um, very difficult time for some of the people in city stuff. And I was trying to get a report. And I was being told you won't get it till after it's presented to council. And with the people who told me that standing there, 
Red walked up and gave it to me. <laughs> and I, I looked up and said, thanks, sir. And, you know, he said, he's entitled to it. Give it to him, you know, and let him see it. And, I, uh, you know, I always had great respect for Red, just as you do. Bobby Peters. Oh, that's that's my buddy. He became the mayor at the same time you came in. Yes, yes. And Why do you call him your buddy? Because I feel that he made me feel very comfortable um, in my seat. He always kept not only me, but all of us informed. You know, anytime something happened, we immediately knew about it. Um, even when things would get rough, and I would be like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. I'm giving. He would always say, uh-uh, you're not done yet. Your purpose is not over. And he would kind of give me that encouragement, that that sense of relief. I'd say, okay, I'm getting out here. I'm getting there. And he always would, and like, like I, like he used to like on my way. He would hit me like, okay, you're getting too loud, <laughs> or you're, you know. I always knew there was okay. I'm doing something wrong. Or he'll hit my chair on the side, and I'm like, I would look at him like, are you crazy? Are you serious? I'm mad. <laughs> but he would always calm me down. Isaiah Hughley. Oh. Isaiah is a um, amazing guy. Um, we don't always agree, but we respect each other's opinion, and we've had a very good relationship. He's always, you know, there's something about me. I'm very strong when it comes to my work ethics, my politics, my career. I'm very strong, but in my personal life. I'm very shy and very timid, and I don't see in myself what other people see in me. And he, when he would see me and he would think that, okay, I'm, she's going the wrong way, he would always encourage me. He would say to me, you see what we just did? Did you see what you did? You know, he would keep me, you know, he would keep me afloat. That's what he did. Carmen Cavesa. Oh, that was my military boss. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you were enlisted. He was a three-star general. Could yes. you ever get over looking at him through the lens of the military? No. And he would tell me that all the time. <laughs> he would say, hey, man, stop. And I would like, yes, sir. Anything else, sir? And I would at times I would even stand at attention and parade rest. <laughs> and he would tell me, could you please stop that? <laughs> yes. So you were one of the people, and I know others like Rufus Riggs, uh, Dick McKee, oh, others, yes. others that had military background mm -hmm. looked at Carmen the same. It, it was hard for you if you had served in the Army not to look at Carmen as a, as, in a, as a person of authority because he was a retired three-star general, right? That is so correct, yes. Even till today, it's the same way. If I was to get near him, I would probably go in in a, in in attention. Even though we're friendly talking, I would probably stand real straight, my arms down. Like it's just that sense of respect. Is that a respect for him or respect for the organization? I would say for him as a veteran, I would say, and the organization too, but mainly for him. He was a leader. He was a general. You know, he installed the values of the military in us. As somebody who rose to the highest ranks of the United States Army and then came back and commanded volunteers, commanded city employees, did you, were you always, what did you think about the way he was able to transition into civilian life? I was jealous. I wish I could have transitioned just like him. He did it smoothly. <laughs> he did it awesome. Why? Why was he able to do that? I think it was his personality. Um, when he didn't have that general hat on <laughs> and he was a civilian, he was very approachable. He was an approachable person. And I think that's what made him so unique, and he was able to bring people together. People that would normally won't come to the same table, he was able to bring them there. And y'all had a little bit of that New York thing going on too, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. And that little Latino, Latin, you know, Italian thing going. Yes, we had we had that. There was a good relationship between us too. Bob Portishev. 
<laughs> that was a handful. <laughs> but he was amazing. He would make you, Bob walked into the room and you can be sad, you can be in another world, and instantly you're, you're happy and you're ready to talk and join his bandwagon to whatever he was going to do. That was part of the show. So what kind of leader was Bob? Bob was Bob, Bob had the military background too, but he also had the JAG and he had the banking. I mean, but Bob was every bit of New Yorker. Oh, yes, he was. And he didn't hide it. <laughs> he didn't hide it. Actually, he would make me feel comfortable because sometimes I would tell people and they would say, stop saying that because sometimes I would say, I was, um, I'm the ghetto girl <laughs> from council. And he would, and him and some other people would say it, stop saying that. But I, when I would see him, I said, oh, I'm fine. He doing his New Yorker thing. I can do my little ghetto thing. I'm good. So that <laughs> was fun. He was fun. I, and he knew how to bring people together, too. Good. I just feel so blessed that the people that have been around me uh, in, encouraged me in their own way, watching them and being a part of them, um, helped me to, to who I am today. Richard Smith. You served with him on council before yes. he got in the General Assembly. Yeah. You know, I used to be scared of Richard in the beginning because Richard was always so serious. <laughs> in the beginning, I used to be like, oh, I better stay away from him. I don't know. But y'all became buddies, right? Yes, yes. Wow. Richard was very sweet. He he would help me. You know, if he, you know, if I had a question about something and I wasn't sure about it, and he would come to me and he says, Mimi, do you understand that? Let me, let me show you it in this um, viewpoint. And that's what made the friendship, you know, that he, he would guide me sometimes and say, you know, um, look at this. But this is one thing I have to say, Richard. Richard never tried to influence me you know, to vote this way or that he way. He didn't come say you should vote this mm -hmm. way. He gave you reasons, but he... Yes, but he never did, and he said, whatever you decide, it's okay. Okay, I'm going to put the next two together, and you'll understand why I want to do it. Okay. Uh, Gary Allen and Skip Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> You've been on council with both of them most of the time. Yes. Skip is mayor um, now, but, you know, they... They kind of come out of the same red Matt Daniel, got long time government, but Gary and Skip, should I put them together? Should I have done them together? I think they're two amazing individuals that have done a lot for our community and really care. When we talk about diversity, I would say that they work real hard in ensuring diversity. Um, they're very. I don't know. Alan and I, we always joke like he was my council husband because he would, you know, he would be like like Bobby. After Bobby left, he would be like, calm down. Y'all were seatmates, right? Yes. He would say, calm down. Look, I need you to look at this like this. And I'm like, no, Gary. It's not like that. It's like this. So we would have like our, like your little husband and wife little debates. Like, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I've always admired Gary because he's always respected my decisions. You're listening to this at you home know. right now. You're thinking, okay, six votes, and this is how the city of Columbus <laughs> is governed. You're, you're going, oh my God. Nah. But this is such an honest exit interview, and this is an mm -hmm. exit interview. Um, oh, yeah, I wouldn't tell you none of that before then. <laughs> <laughs> I can promise you that. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no. man. I'm on my way out, so it's easier. But I got to watch it because there's some things I want to do. And I, gotta, <laughs> I can't burn some bridges now. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about a couple of things at the end. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do now that you now you're 65, you're a grandmom? What are you going to do? Well, I hope to. Um, well, I've always loved to travel, but I would love to do some traveling and spend more time with my family because 28 years of um, community service, working a full time job at TSIS, counts as a full time job. 
even though it's considered part-time, it's a full-time job, and taking care of my mother. Um, and being a single mom, um, it was very tough on my family, but they all supported me. And there were some things that I wasn't able to be there for my kids and do for them. So I can't make up for the past, but I can look at the future. And I like to be there more for my grandkids. Things that I might have missed out for my children, I want to be there for my grandchildren. And then all the things that I have learned and experienced, good and bad, I'm a person that, um, somebody said it to me earlier today, I, I love to empower people. I like to put smiles on people. I like to prove to people, you can do this. So um, I want to work closely in the Latino community on some projects to get them more, to have more trust in our community, um, to be more involved in the different programs that there are in the community. Nothing like political, anything like that. It's just that we came to Columbus because we love the atmosphere of Columbus. We like the South. This is our home, and we need to be more involved in our community. Probably the toughest question I'm going to ask you during this whole interview. Columbus has had crime problems. South Columbus and your district in mm -hmm. particular have had have had way too many homicides. Mm -hmm. Why have the murders, the gun violence, why has it continued? Why ha how can you stop it? Well, you know what? Um, Chuck, I ask my question, I ask that question every day. And there are nights I go to sleep crying, wondering what is happening. But society has changed. Um, there's less value for life now. Um, people are more, how can I say this without offending, but I just feel like we're losing the sense of life's value. Um, when we would disagree and I was coming out, we would go outside and we'd box it out. We fought it. Now people just want to shoot, you know, domestic violence is, is so high right now. And, um, I wish we had that crystal ball, you know, on how to fix it. Um, there's a lot of things that we're doing to try to fix it, but not one person can do it. It and has to take everybody. And in the last year, some of those homicides have been right around the corner from your house in Oakland Park. Yes, and that's been very, you know, devastating, but I'm still not giving up in my community. You know, we don't know. Let me let me give you an, uh, some analogy that I noticed that I've seen somebody post some things on Facebook. And um, not mentioning no names, but um, I learned of a story of a young man that was with his wife in love. They thought they had everything in the world and everything was going well. And one day she commits suicide. And the thought behind persons why didn't I see that we can't predict what someone's feeling inside in the future because if we could we could stop a lot of the violence but what we need to do is embrace each other listen to each other because I might be crying out to you but because I'm smiling and I'm walking and I'm moving you don't know I'm hurting and I say that because as I, I'm exiting out, I'm seeing people, I'm talking to people, even within myself, sometimes I say, oh, my God, I know you have a new journey for me, but what is it? I'm afraid. But if you look at me, you don't know I'm afraid because I'm smiling. I'm laughing. You're masking. Yeah. You're ma yeah. People mask their pain a lot. Yes, yes. And, and that's why we need to work more together to get our families to understand what they're going through. Last I don't thing. know if I answered it. Oh, you did. I think, I think you did. <laughs> I think you did very well. Last thing I want to talk about is family. I want to spin this back to where we started the interview. Your mom passed away when of Alzheimer's? Um, November 29th, 20. 
So two years ago. Uh, your mom had a 12-year battle with Alzheimer's. Yes. You walked all 12 years with her as your primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was incredibly important for you, wasn't it? Yes. My mother gave me her all. And um, with our family values, it was my right and my privilege and my honor to give her all my own. It really was. My mom, when I was um, young and in the military and had a family, my mom would go to every duty station I was at. My mom would meet my neighbors while I'm processing in and, and getting housing. My mother would meet all my neighbors. She would interview the babysitters. She would help us unpack. And then after she saw we were all settled in, she would leave. My mom, even when I did, you know, the politics, at first she was completely against it, but then she said, do it and do it right. And remember who you are and where you came from. God has given you a mission, and you must complete it. My mom was my biggest cheerleader, you know. And we fought, oh, trust me, we fought like cats and dogs because she would tell me at times, she would say, you dress like an old woman, and I dress like you. Put on some makeup, do this. And I'm like, I don't like makeup, you know. So we had our differences, but at the end of the day, <laughs> the end of the day, she was my hero. She was my friend, she was my sister, and she was my mom. Are you a lot like your mom? My family tells me yes. Is that a good thing? Yes, I'm proud. I'm proud of it because... My mom was known in Oakland Park, in her neighborhood, because she had her own house in Oakland Park before she got sick. And she was like that neighborhood mom. She would cook for her neighbors. And she had a beautiful garden. And every Sunday, we would go to her house, my brother and I, and <clears throat> we would have dinner. But after we left, the neighborhood would go in and have dinner with her. She didn't allow them when we were there, but after we left, she would have her own little get-togethers with the neighborhood, you know. And it was hard. It was very hard being a single mom, working at Tisa's council and taking care of her. But you know what, Chuck? I would never change any of it. I never would. I, I The only thing I I that it hurts me, is that I didn't have the power to help her, that I had to see her slowly disappear before my eyes. That was the hardest And that's the thing. curse of Alzheimer's, isn't that's it? That's the curse. That's the curse right there, that you see the person you love, you know, and you can't do anything but just love them. And, and I feel lost. Chuck, without her. Two years. And I still feel lost. It's like yesterday. Because who do I run to? Who do I lay on her lap and cry and say, oh, mom, this happened. How do I do it? And she would say, cry. You're done. Get up. Go face it. Is that the, is that the Puerto Rican heritage, the, the toughness? There's a mental toughness yes. that comes from people. From that island? Yes, it is. Yes. This, it is something that I wish I could put it better than I saw a video on that a person put it. <laughs> We're a community that we can fall and fall to the end of the pit, the darkest of the pig, the whale, whatever you want to call it. And we might cry, but then we get up and we get up with power and life to celebrate that we came out of this situation to the beauty of life. And that's what I feel as a Puerto Rican I bring. It doesn't matter how low you fall. You just have to believe in God and yourself. And you, you, you become victorious because when you sit back and you look at it, you can laugh and say, wow, I was that low and I made it to here? 
It's unbelievable. And that's how I look at my 28 years of journey. This week, when you walked out of that city council meeting for the last time as a city councilor, did you feel victorious? I feel honored and humble that God allowed me to serve his people. I really did. That's how I walked out of there. When I was walking out, I just said, thank you. Thank you for choosing me. Because he could have chose anybody else. But he chose me. He chose the Puerto Rican lady from the candy store. Yes. And to me, that's a great honor. And I will always appreciate it and be continue to be humble and continue to walk in whatever he has in store for me. I, I pray every day and, and I say, God, okay, what's next? What's next? Because somebody did this to me and... and and, and it's really funny is because someone told me, Mimi, um, you decided to run in, in the summertime around July. Your district is seven. Uh, you are your seventh term. You retired from thesis on the seventh, you know. And this is, you know, so they said seventh in the Bible is completion. And so whatever God wanted you to do, you have completed it. And that's what I feel so proud about, that I was able to complete his mission to teach people that if you believe in yourself and in him, anything's possible. Because look at this pretty little Puerto Rican girl. What the heck? In Georgia, two years, Jesus Christ. 20 years later, five mayors, five city managers. Presidents, unbelievable, unbelievable. I don't believe it still. You lived, you lived it. But I still don't believe it at times. I'm like, did I really do that? Did I really? As somebody who's been documenting it for 25 years, you did. <laughs> I can say that. Uh, uh, wow, you made me cry. You shouldn't have done that to I'm me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you made uh, me cry. <laughs> so uh, that's called even Stevens. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for listening to this edition of the Chuck Williams Show. Our guest has been Mimi Woodson. Mimi's completed 28 years of public service, city councilor, District 7 here in Columbus. Um it is an amazing story. It is a truly amazing story. And and still, you know, it's still like I say I it's the one that always tells me, You don't even know what you have done. You don't even see it, you know, and he tells me all the time. And the truth is, Chuck, I really don't. And these past few days when people are like kinda reminding me, I'm like wow, that really happened, you know, it's just because the military and my parents taught me, you know, you do something, you finish it, and you walk away and don't look back, and that's how my whole life's been, and to even things you said to me today, I was like, oh, holy, yeah, that is true, and it's amazing. And I thank you. I thank you. And I thank all the citizens who have faith in me. And, you know, even people that were not in my district that would encourage me. I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed okay. of joy. I'm going to do the last thing, then we're getting out of here. I know Lewis is looking at me like, okay. whoa, this is taking longer than we thought. Sorry, Lewis. <laughs> you got two talkative people. <laughs> I'm going to do what I call turn the table. I've been asking you questions for 20-plus years now. You get to ask me a question. Why do you do what you do, Chuck? Same reason you do. I care about it. I do it because it's 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 something I enjoy. What I would, do you enjoy about it? I enjoy stories. I, I, I think it's a, it, it's a privilege to be able to have somebody like you open up and tell me their story. Because there's power in stories. There's lessons in stories. I mean, there's an, there's an hour's worth of lesson right here on this whole podcast. Your story is a lesson. And that's why I do it. And that's why God gave you that mission. Like he gave me the mission mm -hmm. for, for 28 years. Mm -hmm. 
Uh-huh. And your mission is to do that, tell people's story, because everybody don't tell their story. Not all stories are good stories. But they're stories. And it has to come, the good and the bad comes together for a better tomorrow. Because without the bad, we wouldn't do the good. Amen. Well, we need to end this now. Our guest has been Mimi Woodson, District 7 Counselor. We hope you'll come back again next time for another edition of the Chuck Williams Show. The Chuck Williams Show airs on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8 on WRBL.com. It's also available on your favorite podcast format, iHeart, Spotify, and Apple. Social media, yeah, we're there too. You can get me on Twitter at Chuck Williams, Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL, Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999.